This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. Happy Pi Day. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. For the record, the best pie, key lime pie. Well, we'll talk later. (laughs) In today's second half hour, the next Broadway season at Walton Arts Center was revealed last night. From the six wives of Henry VIII to Atticus Finch, there's plenty of variety. A full rundown later on. First, March is Women's History Month, and the Women's Foundation of Arkansas is kicking off a statewide tour to celebrate their 25th anniversary and share recommendations from a historic report on the state of women and girls in Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth brings us this report from their first stop at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. Earlier this month, women representing a cross-section of industries in northwest Arkansas, from engineering and education to government and business, packed into a crowded conference room at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. But we wanted to come to Bentonville to kick off our our tour, and we we were strategic in who we wanted in the room. Annabeth Gorman is the CEO of the Women's Foundation of Arkansas, a nonpartisan group that looks at the advancement and economic mobility of women in the state. They're hosting the event as part of a statewide tour honoring their 25th anniversary. And we're leveraging that to do a statewide tour, which we've kicked off here in Northwest Arkansas. Yesterday we were Walmart's home office visiting with their Women's Resource Group, really celebrating March 1st being the first day of Women's History Month. But tonight we're here at Crystal Bridges and we're really talking about the Arkansas Women's Commission report that was handed to former Governor Asa Hutchinson in December about recommendations, how we move women forward in the Arkansas economy. So we're really here to introduce ourselves to to new friends, to supporters, and talk about the Women's Commission, how we're leaning in on some of those recommendations, and we're hopefully just raising awareness about our organization. I mean, we've been around for 25 years, but not a lot of people know about the nature of our work. Tonight's panel and the entire statewide tour is meant to highlight the findings from the second Arkansas Women's Commission report, which was authorized by former Governor Asa Hutchinson during his final term and completed in 2022, nearly 50 years after the first Women's Commission in 1973. When the Women's Commission during 2022, they were going around the state hosting meetings and listening sessions. We reached out to all the women that participated in that and wanted to bring them back in so they can see the the final product. A lot of them haven't seen that yet, and so we're happy to get to, to showcase that tonight. Allison Williams was chair of the Women's Commission and former chief of staff for Governor Hutchinson. She says the report showed access to child care was one of the top barriers for women in the workforce. So that's a huge barrier. It, um, it doesn't allow women to go back to work or doesn't allow them to go to work um, in maybe in um, advance their careers as they, might, as they might otherwise. And Gorman says the commission report shows that on the whole, women in Arkansas are facing real economic challenges. And the Women's Foundation of Arkansas is hoping to use this report to not just point out the issues, but to find actionable solutions. But what we want to do is highlight all of the recommendations and really demonstrate that 
there can be local partners for some of this work. And so partly is raising awareness and inviting people to, to meet, inviting people to, to look at the work and, and look at the recommendations and see how they can lean in. And that's what's really critical. Like, you know, the governor and the commission by design, they did not want it to just be a set of flat recommendations. They really, they wanted to encourage there to be a way for other a cross-section of stakeholders to really do the work. And that's what we hope we're doing. And again, we're leveraging our 25th anniversary to, to take it on the road. We're not going to let it sit on a shelf. And that, she says, is why the tour is starting off in northwest Arkansas, a region rife with startup capital and economic opportunities. One of the major recommendations from the report is to increase equity in entrepreneurship in the state. A recent study from the University of Arkansas found that despite a deluge of seed money coming into the state in 2021, only 10% of that funding went to women and people of color. And Williams says that's not because women don't have business ideas. And so making sure that there is funding available that targets women and women of color in particular when we know that more businesses are being started by women of color in Arkansas and the South. And so the, what the Women's Foundation has done and what, what the Women's Commission found is that those sort of targeted investments are going to get the larger return on investment. Um, and so it's about awareness and then making, taking the policy steps to make that happen. And Gorman says one way in particular that the Women's Foundation is trying to address that inequity is by giving young women access to opportunities in sectors often dominated by men. So transitioning from a space where it's pretty much, I wouldn't say um, it's predominantly women, but there is a good number coming over to electrical engineering where there are not so many, you know, being in a class of, let's say, 30 students and being one of two women, and also maybe like one of two persons of color. Um, that's, that has been an interesting transition for me. That's Basha Monker, an electrical engineering student at the University of Arkansas and one of 24 students who took part in the 2022 Tawana Bird Internship Program. The WFA initiative, which is named after the foundation's first black president, matches women of color studying at Arkansas universities with eight STEM, that's science, technology, engineering, and math-based companies, for a 10-week paid internship. Um, but I can say that over the past years, from where I started from up to this point, there's been great strides inside this area, um, especially with programs like the Tawana Bird Internship Program, where we have women who are looking for the next generation to come into these spaces um, and be able to just excel. She says as a young student, she was often discouraged by male teachers and peers from pursuing STEM fields, but says this program helped her affirm her capabilities. I think that if you are a young woman, are you a, you're a young woman that's seeking to pursue STEM or a STEAM career, that you should definitely go after it with your whole heart and not to let any um, water, to not let any hindrance like stop you from actually succeeding in the thing that you want to do. Uh, and I can say that as someone who was told not to do certain things so that I couldn't do certain things. So now what? I am in a room full of women that are in these spaces. So I would say go for it. And Mireya Wraith is with Arkansas United, an immigrant advocacy organization based in the region. 
She says when it comes to the Arkansas economy and workforce, immigrant and Latino women are often left out of the conversation. I know one piece that we've especially spent some attention on is in daycare. We work with a lot of Latina women that just can't get back to work because there's not daycare options. And also Latina women can play a huge role in the daycare industry if we support them to set up those at-home daycare centers and such. And so we need to think creatively, partnerships, work across the aisle, and I think today is a great way to get that started. Ultimately, she says programs like this one can help connect the people needed to put the report's recommendations into action. I don't think we all know who all is interested and willing to be a support. So actually to be able to visualize and physically be together in the same space, that's where it has to start. Gorman says the next stop of the WFA 25th anniversary tour will be March 30th in Jonesboro. And then right now we're looking at hopefully getting to Russellville, potentially back up to Fort Smith and some other areas. And then later this year we'll focus on southwest Arkansas and Arkansas Delta. And you can read the full report and recommendations from the Arkansas Women's Commission online at womensfoundationarkansas.org. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. Daniel Carruth's stories for Ozarks at Large are produced inside the Karen Taha News Studio. Still to come on today's Ozarks at Large, an amazing race-styled adventure in the Ozarks. You know, generally speaking, these lead teams, and we do have three of the top ten teams in the world coming to our race, we're estimating that these teams will sleep between three and five hours total. The sport of adventure racing is coming to Northwest Arkansas, and that's the topic of this week's I Am Northwest Arkansas with Randy Wilburn. It's ahead on this hour of Ozarks at Large. Alan Mantooth is a professor of electrical engineering at the University of Arkansas, and he's an international leader in researching and using silicon carbide as a powerful and versatile semiconductor. He says the U of A is uniquely positioned as a leader in the semiconductor economy. We're attempting to create a bridge in the manufacturing gap that exists in America. Right now we have a lot of expertise, probably the world's leading authorities around the nation in this material system and the things that it can do for us in, in our everyday lives. So we have bridged that gap by creating an open facility where university researchers, national laboratories, or even small and large businesses that don't have access to this capability can prototype their ideas in a cost-efficient manner and then ramp it to high-volume manufacturing. Hear more in the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill at KUAF.com, ArkansasResearch.uark.edu, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. It's pie day, and the best pie is pumpkin. It's a good pie. <laughs> I don't okay. know if it's the best pie. You know, your mileage may vary. <laughs> Guess what happens tomorrow? We pick pumpkins? No, no. Mount Sequoia, not the mountain itself, but that area on Mount Sequoia, we Uh commonly call Mount Sequoia, celebrates 100 years. Wow. It was 100 years ago in 1923 that it became the Methodist Church Retreat. Oh, sure, yeah. Now, of course, it's a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're going to celebrate 100 years by ringing the bells in the clock tower on Mount Sequoia and other churches around Fayetteville will be ringing their bells Amazing at 222. Apparently, when the decision was finalized 100 years ago to make that place the retreat, they rang the bells at midnight. They're not going to do that this time. Yeah, They're going to do 222. That's yeah, so that's tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow night at Malco Theater in Fayetteville. Yeah. House of Darkness. Yeah. Do you know, you know about this? I do, yes. 
Vaguely. Okay. I know I know that a part of it was filmed here in Fayetteville, right? Darn near all of it, if not all of it. Wow, okay. Um, Justin Long, um, Kate Bosworth, mm-hmm. and it was written and directed by Neil LeBute. Mm. He was here. And they filmed m- almost all of it at the Dromberg Castle, ah. the Dromberg, where before your time at KUF, we had uh, a KUF event there. Amazing. Wonderful place. Anyway, <laughs> tomorrow night at Malco, uh, presented by the Arkansas Cinema Society, Doors at 6, Movie at 6.30, a question and answer session with executive producers Blake and Carrie Elder of Fayetteville and Rock Hill Studios. We'll follow afterward. The 47th Annual Hogeye Marathon is the weekend of April 15th and 16th in downtown Springdale. This full and half marathon, 5K and 10K runs, plus four-person marathon relay will benefit several local charities. Finisher medals will be awarded. Online registration deadline is April 13th with late registration on site at Shiloh Square from 11 to 7. HogEyeMarathon.com for more information. A bill restricting bathroom usage in public schools is one step closer to becoming law in Arkansas. Members of the Senate yesterday voted 29 to 6 to send House Bill 1156 back to the House for a final vote. The bill would require students to use bathrooms and changing facilities aligning with the sex on their birth certificate. Democratic Senator Clark Tucker of Little Rock said the bill's discriminatory nature means it likely won't hold up in court. There have been trans kids using bathrooms different from the ones they were assigned at birth for as long as there have been schools and bathrooms. And the reason for that is because there have been transgender people for as long as humans have existed. The only part of society that this bill maintains is discrimination, which is something else that's existed for as long as humans have been around. Republican Senator Matt McKee of Piercy responded to Tucker's comments, saying in his view, discrimination is needed at times in order to protect children. This is a, seems like a real simple problem to me and a real simple solution. And if you want to say that discrimination has existed since time immemorial, I would say I agree with you. We discriminate based on your body parts. And if you want to see young men undressing in girls' locker rooms, I think you should vote against this bill. Senators voted to approve the bill on a party-line vote and could get final approval on the House side by the end of the week. Tyson Foods is closing its Van Buren plant. That plant employs more than 600 people. The company issued a statement late yesterday offering a few details, including a closure date of May 12th. The same statement says the decision was not an easy one to make, but is part of a strategy to optimize operations and utilize full available capacity at each plant. The unemployment rate in Arkansas remained stable in January, according to the Arkansas Division of Workforce Services. Unemployment stayed at 3.4 percent in January, while nationwide the jobless rate went down one-tenth of a percentage point from 3.4 to 3.5 percent. The Arkansas civilian labor force went up 478. Government jobs fell by 3,400 due to the winter break. Manufacturing was up 900 jobs, while Arkansas's non-farm payroll jobs declined by more than 12,000. The largest gains were seen in the trade, transport, and utility sectors. Scott Verity will become the vice chancellor for university advancement at the University of Arkansas next month. He's currently the executive director of the Razorback Foundation, a position he's had since 2015. Verity is a University of Arkansas alumnus who previously served more than 19 years with the University of Arkansas's Office of the General Counsel, including his role as Associate General Counsel. Mark Power, Vice Chancellor of University Advancement since 2017, will continue to serve the university in a new role 
leading fundraising as a senior advisor for key philanthropic initiatives. His last day as vice chancellor will be April 16th. State lawmakers have advanced a bill to ban the use of drop boxes for absentee ballots in Arkansas. In advocating for her bill, Republican Representative Rebecca Birx referenced 2,000 Mules, a discredited conspiracy film that argues ballots were illegally placed in public ballot boxes during the 2020 election. She said the bill cleans up voting bills Arkansas has used in the past. Also, in 2021, we attempted to clarify that ballots needed to be turned in inside the office of the uh, clerk's office, um, but there were some questions about that. So this bill just further clarifies that. Democratic Representative Tippi McCullough spoke against the bill. She said voter fraud is virtually non-existent in Arkansas, and ballot boxes are rarely used anywhere in the state. We already have abysmal voter turnout in our state, often ranked 50th nationally, and this bill does nothing to help increase our civic engagement. In fact, it further cuts the hands of local election officials with restrictions against a method of voting that might have afforded a voter the chance to cast their first vote. The bill passed the House and now goes to the Senate for a vote. A small but enthusiastic celebration was held yesterday at John McConnell Field on the University of Arkansas campus to honor the national championships won last weekend by the Arkansas women's and men's indoor track teams. The new championships mean the combined titles for the men's and women's national championship programs for Arkansas now total 49. Yesterday, a red flag with the number 49 was raised at the outdoor track facility. Men's head coach Chris Bucknam told the assembled teams the new flag is a celebration and an inspiration. Okay, when you work out, you see that flag, don't you, every day? Yeah. And that's our goal, is to win championships and to be the very best versions of what we can be as athletes, student-athletes, and being one Razorback. The other thing it does, I think that's really important, is it bonds our men's and women's programs, okay? It bonds us. That number is collective of what we do every day. Women's head coach Lance Harder, who will retire after the outdoor season, told the athletes to drink in their success. Nothing better than getting a double win and walking away and irritating all those other schools. <laughs> the outdoor track season begins for both teams later this month at the Stanford Invitational. We now know the first-round opponent for the Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team in the NIT. It was announced yesterday that Arkansas will host Louisiana Tech in Bud Walton Arena Thursday night at 7 p.m. Roberta Lee is new to the professional singer-songwriter world, but she's attracting plenty of attention. Her blend of Americana roots and country has earned praise from NPR, Nashville Scene, and the Black Opry, an organization dedicated to promoting country and roots artists of color. She was in Fayetteville last month as a guest of the Center for Multicultural and Diversity Education. A few hours before she performed in the Faulkner Performing Arts Center, she came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio with Brian Hembry, who is with the Center for Multicultural and Diversity Education and a singer-songwriter himself. Before Roberta Lee shifted to the professional music business, she was a teacher. I asked her if there are similarities between teaching and songwriting. Very much so. Because when it comes to teaching, you have to effectively communicate a certain point. And uh, when it comes to songwriting, 
it's the same. You're communicating a particular sentiment and you want people to receive it. Um, and just as much as you want your kids to receive the information that you're telling them. And so one of the, one of the highlights of teaching that I recall, I used to be a Spanish teacher. And one of the fun parts about teaching is taking something that you're very passionate about and your kids feeling the same way. So one of the things that I was really excited about is Cinco de Mayo. And learning how Cinco de Mayo, that battle, affected the Civil War. And a lot of people don't know that. And so when I show my students, there's a movie called La Batalla, right? Cinco de Mayo, La Batalla. I show them the movie. And of course, it's in Spanish. So I'm breaking down each scene. You know, I pause it and I break it down. I'm like, oh, this is happening in this drama. And he took his girlfriend or, oh, my gosh, he died, you know. And I'm explaining it to them. And to see how exciting, how excited they are about the holiday, right? That is more than just tacos and beer. And how they would move on to another level with another teacher and be able to explain the facts like that. I remember the, the, the teacher coming to me and like, I have never seen students explain that history fact so well before, but it's, some, it's something that excited me, so it excited them. And so when we write songs, to be able to share those songs, and it's like, I know how much this song means to me. I know how much that moment meant to me. I hope that it translates to the audience too. And I have to craft it in a way that does that. Well, it's interesting, too, because I don't know what grade you taught, but my mother was a kindergarten, first grade teacher for years, and I'd watch her teach. And it was such an effort because the attention spans of five- and Mm six-year-olds can, you know, (laughs) move at a pretty fast clip. Yeah. Same for people listening to a song. Absolutely. So you really got to get them there yeah. and keep them there. Yeah. Well, I mean, people people don't change much since, <laughs> since being kids. The attention spans really do, you know, um, are pretty short for children and adults and everybody. Um, and so it, there really has to be. You really have to master um, connecting with your audience on some of the most basic levels because sometimes simplicity is really profound. So you enjoyed teaching. Yes. It sounds like you were really good at it. Yeah. But yet. But yet. But yet. But yet. Here you are here doing I this. I mean, <laughs> what gave you the momentum? I call it my pandemic pivot. You know, the pandemic was the blip. <laughs> you know, it was, a, it was a hard-hitting year for a lot of people. A lot of people had a lot of decisions to make um, during the pandemic. And um, that, w- that was the decision for me. Um, it really wasn't about, you know, the kids, the pay. It's always about the pay. <laughs> so if anyone's listening, increase teachers' pay. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't one of those like, oh, my gosh, I really can't take it anymore. It's so hard. It wasn't that. It was just, you know what, my life is really short right now, and there's nothing like a pandemic of this size, this capacity to, to remind you of that. And um, I say this all the time. I had that kind of conversation with my 80-year-old self, and I just wanted to make sure she wouldn't be mad at me mm. at the fact that I didn't try. So I promised my 80-year-old self, I said, I'm going to try, and we're going to see if this works. That way <laughs> we can know at the end of life we actually did it. I'm going to ask you about a couple of your songs that hit me like showing that film to students here in a minute. Yeah, okay. I, I've got two that I really love. Okay. First, I want to bring Brian Hembry in here. Brian, uh, when did Roberta land on your radar? Well, um, 
actually, I first got introduced to Jet Holden. Uh, Jet was in town, uh, played one of the Fayetteville Root Street concerts in 2021. Um, actually, excuse me, that was this last summer, 2022. Uh, we had a three-day uh, mini fest, uh, Roots HQ on the Avenue, and um, Jet just blew me away on stage and off. And I was familiar with um, Holly G and, and Black Opry and what was happening with that organization. Um, and so it was just this entrance uh, to get to know some of the artists that are working with Black Opry. Mm-hmm. And so when we circled back around, we thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity to engage Black Opry and their, and their artists with campus. So when I first approached Holly G, I didn't really know who would be coming. You know, and then she said, well, let's bring Jet back, you know, yeah. for familiarity and, and return. But I'd like to introduce you to Roberta. And, and and I just dug into your music yeah. and I was like, okay, this is perfect. Yeah. You know, and, and it's really that one-two punch. We saw it happen on the stage uh, last summer where the song swap kind of format mm-hmm. is really interesting. It goes back to what you were saying about the, you know, holding attention and, and multiple perspectives and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I got a feel after watching a few things because you all have collaborated a yeah. lot in those kind of environments. I was like, this is going to be a perfect one-two punch. You know, I see students coming tonight and going, like, I see myself in Jed, or I see myself in Roberta, or I see myself in both, and really in, enjoying that dialogue back and forth. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Black Opry. Yeah. Because it's right there in the name. It, it, it's artists who are black and Brown, yeah, yep. and who like Americana, create Americana roots, country music, mm-hmm. that for a lot of reasons, a lot of us don't know the names, yeah, because they don't get on the radio, they don't get. Yeah. But I tell you what, go to the Black Opry uh, webpage and start <laughs> scrolling and start listening, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, and I think that um, that's one thing that is um, both refreshing and disheartening about the process is that you you come across artists like Jet, artists who are absolutely phenomenal, and it's like, well, there's only, there's only, what like, what is the reason for their lack of presence on the radio? And so we had to, it was an opportunity to create community together and to lift up, lift one another up and to find people who actually support and, um, and, and are ready to hear our stories. So it's it's been a, a roller coaster indeed. And I love that there are playlists and curated, uh, you know, playlists that you can yeah. be introduced to artists maybe you don't know. Mm-hmm. All right, I've got to ask you about my favorite song that you do. Okay. <laughs> Always a risk to tell someone your their favorite. <laughs> he can't dance. Oh my God, I what? love that song <laughs> so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm in the kitchen, getting myself a cold water. We play some music, I get into it. Oh yeah, that song's a good one. So I start moving my little two-step. I got my drink, I'm feeling fine. He comes behind me, a little clumsy, but his two-step falls in line. And I smile, because he can't dance, but he's a real man, and he gon' do what he gotta do to make me smile, to make it count, to bring me every star and moon. And he don't have to be Jackson or Presley with all the fancy moves. No, he can't dance, but loving me will do. First, 20 words, you set a scene. Yeah. Cook it. 
I'm yeah. having a drink. I'm just, you're in this mood. And I just love where it goes from there. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, thank you so much. That is definitely a favorite of mine. And that was one, again, that I wrote and I knew how much it meant to me. And, you know, you record it and you wonder how much it's going to mean to other people. Um, so I appreciate that. And um, as a songwriter, I have just this range of writing songs that are extremely literal, like He Can't Dance, um, to songs that are very figurative, like a song called um, Through It All that's kind of like a, a dream, but also mental health and therapy. And um, it's not really me, but a character that could represent a lot of people, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to know that. And, and I don't know, that's, that's why I think that simplicity is very profound, because how many there's lots of people who are done with dinner. I'm done with dinner and in the kitchen. I'm getting myself a beverage. Like, it's so simple, yeah. but it, it, it reaches. It's simple, but if it were that simple, we would have all written that song. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's a simple premise, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of heart yeah. and skill behind that. Yeah, yeah. What's it like to perform your songs for uh, other people? Well, <laughs> well, I was just telling Brian I had my very first show in Nashville. I'm at the basement this Saturday. Um, and it was pretty nerve-wracking leading up to that because you don't know. you got to sell tickets. You don't know. Are people coming? I don't know. And to see the place packed out. It wasn't packed to the max, but it was packed. And to hear these people singing my songs and some folks that I, I haven't even met yet, you know what I mean? It was, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. But again, just like when my students, I used to teach high school, by the way. So when my students would um, come across single new mile again in another teacher's class in another year and express that excitement, Again, it's it's like okay, I did my job. I was able to translate emotion because what's that saying that uh, your music is what our feelings sound like? I think is how that saying goes, and um, it's translating emotion. Um, and so, it, it's the best feeling when you you stand you're standing on stage and you see a crowd and they are connecting to the song immediately. Brian, I mean, bringing in Jeff, bringing in Roberta. There's a chance to show people here that there's great music all over the place. You need to go search for it and just not let it come to you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, we, we are in this time and place with music that um, we have access to more music than we've ever had before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can look at the data. And this is what we do in, in class with, with my students. We look at the data to see, like, what percentage of Spotify listens are, like, the top 100 hits versus what we call catalog, mm-hmm. which is, you know, all the rest of the songs. Mm-hmm. And catalog is growing. But what that means is that we, we have to, like, still have guides, right? We have to have places where we um, can look to to say, well, where should I look? So Black Opry is a good example mm. of that, right? It's an aggregator. I don't want to call it a record label. Right. It's a community, right. Right? right, where they're saying, hey, we have 250 artists we're working with at this moment, and we think each one deserves your listen. You know, so that's, that's, that's a chance for, you know, a recommendation in that sea of I could listen to anything. You know, I see the University of Arkansas playing a similar role for our students, or at least our community, where we can say, hey, listen, you know, um, there is music happening that you may not have been exposed to yet, but you're going to see it in person, and that's going to change the way you think about this open book of, say, a Spotify. And so I think it's important to realize that, like, for hundreds of years, you know, 
an artist playing in front of an audience is how music gets translated, right? Now we have all these new mechanisms to make it more accessible all the time, 24 hours a day. But, you know, that idea of, you know, an artist in front of an audience that's engaged never goes away. So pandemic pivot. Yeah. Paying off. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is. It is. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. And best of luck on the rest of the on the journey. Thank you. Roberta Lee was on the University of Arkansas campus last month and came to the Converse Center for Public Radio during her visit. You can find out much more about her and her music at IamRobertaLee.com. I Am Northwest Arkansas is a podcast from Randy Wilburn that explores all kinds of corners of our world. Beginning today, we're collaborating with the podcast to bring you excerpts from current and past conversations Randy has shared with listeners. The most recent episode released yesterday focuses on Expedition Ozark, a five-day adventure race in the Arkansas Ozarks. Randy sat down with the race director, Danny Collins, to find out more about how the adventure race would operate and how Expedition Ozark fits in. If the Amazing Race were a program that was happening locally, where there were teams involved and where there were some really unique programs built into this event, and I'd love for you just to kind of just talk about how this event came about and more specifically how you got involved with it. Yeah, you know, I'm mean, to use the metaphors of comparisons to uh, to TV shows. It's actually, if anybody's heard of Eco Challenge, it really is. That's the sport of adventure racing, and that's what this is. And that's really when the first aspect of adventure racing came into existence. And then, pretty more recently during COVID, you kind of had the world's toughest race, Bear Grylls, hosted that, and that's that's absolutely what this is. Is the sport of adventure racing? I mean, it's been around for a really long time. At least as an adventure racer, in my opinion, it puts those Ironmen to shame. <laughs> and it's <laughs> literally, uh, it's an expedition adventure race. There's a lot of different variations of adventure racing, but this one specifically is part of the Adventure Race World Series. So it's a circuit of expedition races across the world. It always culminates in a world championship every year. Last year, I got to go to the world champs in Paraguay. This year, my team is going to race in the world championships in South Africa. So it is a very wow. cool circuit that's across the entire globe. Uh, we have four in North America only. So we are the fourth, which is amazing. You got one in the Northeast, you got one in Bend, Oregon, and you got one in Canada. So we're the fourth one, which is really spectacular. And so the to really quick kind of understanding of what adventure racing is, is the more unique aspect to it. It's usually tricky or trekking, paddling, biking, and then it's all orienteering, right? So you get maps and you do the entire race by map and compass so put it in perspective there's no actual course you get maps that have checkpoints located and our course is going to be about 375 miles of a race and you race 24 7 for five days you got 120 hours you sleep when you want you stop when you want but if the guy idea is just go collect as many of these checkpoints as humanly possible with the time that you have you know, generally speaking, these lead teams, and we do have three of the top 10 teams in the world coming to our race, we're estimating that these teams will sleep between three and five hours total for that 120 hours. So they'll be racing on average over 20 hours a day. And so it's, it really is pretty spectacular to know what some of these athletes are achieving day and night and completely and totally orienteering. And so in other words, just map and compass only. The entire course is in secret until the morning of the race. We hand them a set of, I can't tell you how many, but quite a few maps and say, more or less, we'll see you in five days. 
Wow. So it's almost like, I mean, you literally go into this and there, there is a, a certain aspect of the unknown that's involved. Absolutely. It's kind of one of the thrills. So <laughs> yesterday was a really exciting. So both are, so we have a, an expedition race and that's, it is sold out. We have over 10 teams or 10, 10 countries represented at our race. And so yesterday was a really exciting day that we sent them actually the race schematic, which is a big deal for these races. Somewhere around a month out, you generally get what's called a race schematic. And it'll paint the picture of the different legs of the race to help you start planning a little bit. But again, it's mm-hmm. the distances are hidden, the the times are hidden, and it's but it is very it's very unknown and it's pretty exceptional. I think beyond just the mental or the physical capacity to do something like this, but the mental capacity and the ability to navigate when you're, you know, 48 hours without sleep is quite incredible. Yeah. And to me, the how you asked earlier how I got involved, I have been adventure racing for about 15 years now. I more recently got into the expedition length races and, and just kind of fell in love with that sport for so many reasons. I love to be in the woods. I am an avid paddler, trekker, and biker, and so getting to do it all in one experience, and it's just an amazing way to see a new place, and that's what I'm really excited for on the race director side. This will be my first expedition race that I'm directing, and my co-race director and myself have had just a blast connecting the dots to all these special places. You think about when you got 400 miles to travel, you can see everything we have here, and it's just been so fun to connect those dots and be able to understand. Yeah, I'm just really excited for everybody to see how beautiful our backyard is. And over five days, you get to see it. Yeah. Now, are these teams, you said the teams are coming from all over the world. Yeah, we got 10 countries represented. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, so like, Spain. just like you're going, you're, you went to Paraguay and you're, you're going to go to South Africa. There are people from other parts of the world that are going to be coming here to our backyard right in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, we'll have, I mean, a handful of teams from, a real small handful of teams that are here relatively regional, which is really exciting because a lot of those is the first expedition. And then about 20 teams that are coming from all over the U.S., from coast to coast. And then we have, uh, like I said, 10 different countries. we got France, Brazil, Australia, Spain, Ecuador, Denmark, Estonia, Brazil, and, and Canada. So super exciting to be able to, you know, Lots of people are hearing about Northwest Arkansas, but that's still exposure like we haven't heard of quite yet. You can hear the entire conversation from the new episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas, featuring host and producer Randy Wilburn speaking with the director of Expedition Ozark, Danny Collins, by searching for the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast wherever you get your podcasts. There is also IamNorthwestArkansas.com. Each Tuesday on Ozarks at Large, we'll hear an excerpt from the latest episode. The Elizabeth Richardson Center is needing your help to break the box. They have a donation drive going through March at any Legacy Bank location or here at KUAF Public Radio. The ERC works to enhance the quality of life for individuals with disabilities in our community. Here's the ERC's Jenna Dare. And we know that we ask for a lot, but it takes a lot. And if this was your child, grandchild, cousin, aunt, whatever, you know, you would want them to be taken care of. All of this information is on our donate page on our website, which is ERCinc.org. Make your voice matter and help the ERC break the box this March in providing everything it needs to continue to serve our community. Find more at KUAF.com. Tomorrow on Ozarks, rumors have long circulated about an industrial wind energy facility being built in eastern Carroll County. 
That story, plus an excerpt from the latest episode of our podcast, Undisciplined, tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on Ozarks at Large. You can always listen by downloading or subscribing to our Ozarks at Large podcast. Rocklahoma 2023 Music Festival is September 1st through the 3rd, 2023. And KUAF is giving you the chance to win VIP tickets. Held in prior Oklahoma, bands include Asking Alexandria, Rob Zombie, Aaron Jones, and more. Winners will be announced on Friday, August 25th during Ozarks at Large. KUAF.com for complete lineup and registration. This is Ozarks at Large. The next Broadway season at Walton Arts Center has been announced, and we'll have some Sondheim, a singing Anne Boleyn, the life and music of Tina Turner, and Aaron Sorkin's take on Harper Lee included. This season comes with revivals included 18 Tonys, 22 Drama Desk Awards, 8 Olivier Awards, and a Grammy. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, Jennifer Ross, Vice President of Programming at Walmart Center, and Kurt Owens, Director of Programming. Welcome. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. All right, well, let's jump right in. It starts in September with Six, the musical, All Six Wives of Henry VIII are on stage. All Six Wives are on stage. It is an Arkansas premiere. We're thrilled. The season subscription has five of the six shows are Arkansas premieres, and this is the first show, so it's the first premiere. It is the story of the Tudor Queens, sort of set in today. I was going to say, this isn't a period piece. Correct. (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's a very poppy show. The songs are fun. Um, The queens are fabulous. The costumes are amazing. It's still playing in New York. Um, It opened just over a year ago, so we're getting it very soon after it opened New York, very soon after the tour went out. Um, and it's selling out everywhere, so we're excited to get it to Fayetteville this this early. So, Kurt, I would guess that this is the first tour, first national tour? Correct. There's actually two tours of the show out because so it is so popular. Right. Um, and we're, we're getting it within the first year of it going out. Absolutely. It's really fun because the um, six live on opening night Broadway cast recording debuted at number one on Billboard in May of 2022. That's in December, or that's in September, then in December, Tina with the music of and based on the life of Tina Turner, a musical that actually premiered in London. Uh, it started in London, uh, I don't recall what year, but then um, came to New York uh, prior, just prior to COVID. Um, uh, just like everything else in the world, shut down, um, came back stronger than ever, and uh, launched a national tour last year and um, is doing gangbusters. Absolutely. It did win a Tony for Best Performance by a Leading Actress for Adrian Warren, who also played Tina in, uh, in London. So we're thrilled to be able to get this show uh, to present it here. It is the story of Tina Turner from her humble beginnings in Nutbush, Tennessee, to her superstardom. Then the next month, January, sort of a spiritual descendant, I would say. Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette. I mean, there's a connection there. There is a connection there. Cross-generational. Absolutely. Alanis Morissette um, wrote Jagged Little Pill, and then... In 1995, that album came out, and Jagged Little Pill, the musical, takes some of the music from the album, but it also adds in music that was written by uh, Morissette as well as some other songwriters, but inspired by her music. So the musical isn't just the music from the album. I like to draw through lines through your season. So Six has at the core six wives of Henry VIII, then it's Tina Turner, then it's Alanis Morissette, and then in February, Sondheim arrives with company. 
At the core is Bobby, a woman who's turning 35 and is getting asked a lot of questions. Exactly. Her friends want to know why she hasn't married yet, why she's not starting a family yet. Um, 50 years ago, when Sondheim, when this show premiered yeah, in 1970, <laughs> okay, so 52 years ago, when this show premiered, Bobby was a man. And at that time, when you turned 35 as a man, everybody wanted to know why you weren't married, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These days, and this is what happened in the development of this new version, they wanted to know, okay, well, at this time, it's not that big a deal if you're 35 and not married as a man. Mm -hmm. A lot of men don't get married by the time they're 35. But for some reason, that's a problem for women. And people start asking questions. And so they sort of turned the show in its head. And Bobby's now a woman. And it makes so much sense this way. It's almost a, a completely new show. It's a 50-year-old show originally, but it's almost... It feels brand new. Um, it's hysterically funny. The music is, I think, some of Sondheim's best. Um, they they changed some of the genders of the other characters, um, and some they didn't, um, uh, including the in the original, there's a trio um, that's sung by three women that are now three men. Mm -hmm. um, and there's the uh, act one closer, uh, Getting Married Today. All I'm going to say is it will stop the show. Kind of a shift a little bit as we go to Aladdin. This is from the same producers as The Lion King. Correct. And Disney Theatricals. Right. They've got lots of shows out. We have previously um, presented Beauty and the Beast, Mary Poppins. Um, this one is just a fantastic um, version of the 1992 film that we all know and love. It's a it's a pretty spectacular show. It's a it's a it's a very large show um, for for Walton Art Center. So we were when we uh, got the opportunity to do it, we jumped on it. Um, I, I think the producers have seen our success with Hamilton, our success with Moulin Rouge, and are really taking notice. So we're able to get some of these bigger titles that we may not have gotten in the past. Mm. Exactly. The costumes and the set design are really lush and beautiful, and that Disney musical film coloration, they're really beautiful. And um, we're really excited to see it in our hall because our hall is so intimate and beautiful. I think it's just really going to pop off the stage. Uh, season concludes with Aaron Sorkin's take on To Kill a Mockingbird, of course, the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel from Harper Lee. This one... Um, I mean, it's hard to say anything because what needs to be said <laughs> um, at this point, um, it's... I've seen, I saw the show in New York. I've seen the tour. Mm -hmm. It's just a stunning theatrical experience. You leave with a different feeling in your chest, in your stomach. In your soul. In your soul after seeing this show. Unfortunately, it's still a very necessary yeah. piece. Absolutely. Um, Aaron Sorkin has um, um, taken taken the book and and sort of looked at it with through a different lens, a more contemporary lens. Exactly. Atticus is kind of generally seen as a white savior figure, mm -hmm. and Aaron Sorkin kind of pulls that back a little bit. That's the season, but there the are aren't That's there little six subscription shows, right? But there's there's some there are a few other things. We do have a few other things. What is the share show? The share show is. It's the Cher show. Cher is such a legend, and she's been working for so long that it actually takes three actresses to play uh -huh. her in the Cher show. I'm really excited because the Bob Mackie gowns that Cher has won throughout her life mm -hmm. were recreated 
for the show on Broadway. By Bob Mackey. By Bob oh. Mackey. <laughs> and we're going to have those gowns. So there will be Bob Mackey creations on stage. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. It's thrilling and exciting. This is a really fun show. It tells the story of of Cher, really, literally, from her beginning through, I mean, almost current day. And it's so exciting to watch. And the actors who play her really embody Cher for all of us. And Cher is just a wonderful, yeah. you know, fabulous person. And we're lucky <laughs> enough to, we're um, launching the national tour. This is... Um, um, at least the second, if not third year in a row, we've launched yes, a national tour yep, from Walton Arts Center. So um, uh, This is the 15th Broadway show that we've launched from Walton Arts Center um, since we started counting launching shows, and I think the first one we launched was in 1997. Wow. There are a couple of others. There are a couple of others. We're really excited. Les Miserables is coming back right. to Walton Arts Center for, um, this will be the fourth time that it's been here. We are doing a week of the show. So our subscribers, when they renew early, if they want to keep their same seats, then they can add on Les Miserables when they renew and keep the same seats that they love. Um, the other two shows, we don't have eight shows of, so that's always slightly more complicated. Right. But with Les Mis, we're doing a full week so they can keep their same seats and the same day of the week when they see their show. And when is that? That is January 2nd through 7th. Oh, okay. It's right after the first of the year. And then the last show is in May. Um, the Share Show, we'll just say we're doing three performances of the Share Show, two on Sunday night and one on Tuesday night, and then it launches on its tour. Um, the last show is Hairspray. We're running that in May, and I believe it's May 5th. 3rd through 5th, I think. 3rd through 5th. Um, and Hairspray, we're doing four performances of Hairspray. Uh, Jennifer Kirk, thank you both very much for coming in. Absolutely. Thank Happy so to be much. here. Jennifer Ross is Vice President of Programming at Walton Arts Center. Kurt Owens is the Director of Programming at Walton Arts Center. Grew up in the French court, wee wee bonjour, life was a chore, so she set sail. 15, 22, came straight to the UK, all the British dudes lame. Epic fail. I wanna dance and sing. Politics, not my thing. Ooh. But then I met the king, and soon my daddy said, You should try and get ahead. He wanted me, obviously, messaging me like every day. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and West Fork. Contributors today include Daniel Carruth and Randy Wilburn. We had material today produced by the new staff at KUAR in Little Rock. Matthew produced this program in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. All right, it's pie day, mm -hmm. which of course doesn't actually refer yes, it's, to it's the a, dessert. The mathematical it's, number. Yes. Nevertheless. So your favorite pie is key lime. Yeah, I'd say my second favorite pie is pizza pie. I have already gotten Kyle, I have already gotten at, at least three emails from pizza companies who apparently have my email address saying Happy Pie Day, come eat some pizza. Right. So um, that would probably be my second favorite pie. Is there a bad pie? Is there a pie you don't like? Because I don't think there's a pie that I just don't like. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. Um, there are pies that on first glance I didn't think I would like. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had like buttermilk pie? Do you know no, what buttermilk pie I is? I don't. Um, so it's kind of like it's buttermilk on the verge of souring that you use. How can you tell? 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, buttermilk pie. That you use to make pie, and it kind of almost turns into like a custard. And mm, I love good. custard. Yeah. Um, it's really good. I had never had it until Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. A uh, family member made it, and oh, it was good. Um, I, don't, I don't think I can think of a pie yeah. that I dislike. Fair to say pie better than cake? I think so. I do yeah, too. I you know on my birthday I request pie over cake. Good for you. What about you? I don't request anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's pie better oh. than cake for you. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why do you think that is? I think they're moister. Mm. Now that said, I've had some really good cakes. Sure. I'm just saying on average. Yeah. If I'm to walk into a fine restaurant. And it's, you know, pie or cake for dessert. You can't go wrong. I'm going to go pie. Oh, okay. Well, no, of course you can't go well, wrong. Sure. But I'm just saying that I, <clears throat> the average pie to my palate, sure. which is not sophisticated at all, <laughs> is better than the average cake. Yeah. That's I, all I'm saying. I would agree with that. I think for me, the selling factor on pie is the differentiating textures, that you've got the crust yeah. and the pie filling yeah. itself, the difference... The difference in the different textures, I think, is what helps sell it for me. I can yeah. eat more pie than cake. Same here. All right. All right we're going to play some more music from uh, Roberta Lee, who yes, was heard earlier on the show. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for listening. I can hear my mama say, get your butt outside and play, and don't come back until those lights are on. We didn't always have it made Didn't stop us either way So we just made the boulevard our own Living life before we had these phones Cause there was nothing like a summer day With the grass up to our knees Every day felt like a holiday Getting kissed by the summer breeze Cause it didn't take much to have some fun A kiddie pool and some water guns And don't forget, we learned about those birds and bees On these ghetto country streets Was a good girl, but to my friends I had to tell Chasing boys and 